0: Good morning and welcome to Registry Report Radio. My name is Michael McKay and we've got a great show for you today. My co-host today will be Dwayne Daughtry out of North Carolina and Elizabeth Christensen out of Florida. We're talking today with Gail Coletta, the founder and president of Florida Action Committee. And uh, welcome, Gail. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourselves?
0: So far, so good. Tell our audience a little bit about the Florida Action Committee, how it got started, and how you came to be its founder and president.
1: Well, the Florida Action Committee is a group of individuals that have, one way or another, been touched by this issue. They're either registrants, registrant families, or community members that are concerned about the manner in which we treat this population. I personally am involved because this issue touched my family in 2009. And when I reached out to find help, get some answers, understand how could this actually be, I found very little. But I was fortunate enough to find this group of women, primarily mostly mothers, individuals that have been convicted of a sexual offense that are required to register, and they were doing a lot of information gathering. They were doing a lot of sharing between themselves, trying to be as proactive as possible in getting information out there, assisting families. But they weren't necessarily a organized movement. They had been known as the Florida Action Committee. So I'm not really the founder. What I did in 2010 was... In conjunction with this very special group of people, we decided we were going to incorporate, and we were actually going to become a legal entity, so we could have better status, be better organized, grow, do fundraising, or legal challenges, etc. And we've we've grown. We have a significant amount of paid members. We also have individuals that because of their financial situations, can't contribute financially, so they contribute in other ways. We continue to be as active as we can legislatively, to inform policy, which we've not been successful at, really. Our goal right now is to continue to try to educate the public, because let's face it, unless we um, change public opinion, we're going nowhere fast. The court's Can only do so much, and then the the legislators just build a roadmap, sidestepping what the courts are really asking them to do.
0: In advocacy circles, the state of Florida has developed quite a reputation, or maybe I should say notoriety, for treating the entire sex offender registry issue the way it does. Why do you think that is? What what do you think it is that sets Florida apart from other states and how they handle these kinds of issues?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I think that what's driving the horrific conditions here is the unwillingness of the legislature to say publicly what they have stated behind closed doors. They know it doesn't work. They know it's a huge financial burden. They know it's really not doing anything, but they have this mentality of, well, if it saves one child as opposed to let's really do things so we can save thousands of children they use it as they don't really want to resolve this issue they use it as a political driver if you will especially during re-election you know i've done all these things to protect you against sex offenders as if sex offender was a category of people and uh, that defines a group of people and Honestly, that's the first place to start. Legislators refuse to look at the consequences and these people, they refuse to look at them as people, their numbers, their pawns, fear of the unknown. And what we don't understand, it's probably the hardest thing for humans to deal with. And legislators stir the pot. They want to make it appear as though this group of people are out there, you know, terrorizing our communities, just waiting to nab your children. So it's important for us to continue to educate the public with facts, with truth. And the legislators in Florida, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to look at the policies and the millions of dollars that they're spending to do nothing. And then we have Ron and Lauren Book, who, again, just want to push their own narrative and their own agenda instead of actually doing anything that helps. I got a renewal notice for my driver's license, and in there is a the thing to you know, donate to Lauren's kids and get a specialized license plate, yada, yada, to continue to drive her, her policies. I feel terrible for Lauren Books. She's had a horrific childhood, nobody saying otherwise, but my advice to her would be stop being a victim and truly be a survivor and help others to achieve that through factual information into the community, through empowerment of parents and educators and individuals to protect themselves.
0: The current legislature is working on House Bill 987. Would you update us on what it's about and where it stands right now in in the Florida legislature?
1: I haven't looked at status today. 987 is a bill that was dealing with one thing, basically, and when it hit the floor, they snuck in all these amendments after it went through committee, and that's typically what they do. And what they're trying to do is force the hotel industry into not allowing anyone on the registry to be able to rent space. That's the bottom line. The bill's language has now included that every hotel, if a guest registers that is required to register, they need to notify every guest that's going to be there and everybody living within 1,000 feet of this location I mean, who's going to do that? Of course, they'll just say, screw it. We won't rent to, you know, we won't allow our guests to be those required to register. So it penalizes their families, It you know, whether this is for vacation or whether this is for business or whatever. It's just, it's absurd. And from where we're Standing right now, and depending upon which legislator you talk to, some of them are saying, like, this is dead. I'm not voting for this. We've been getting a lot of people calling on this issue. So I really couldn't tell you because, fact be known, there isn't anybody that I believe anything that they say coming out of the legislature right now.
0: Am I correct in my understanding that that bill requires registrants to register in person two days, uh, register in person with the sheriff's department two days before they actually arrive?
1: To register two days before you're planning to arrive, I don't know that it says in person. But even still, I mean, if you're on a vacation and you're driving from point A to point B, you might not know 48 hours before where you're going to be exactly and just need to have a hotel. Or you might get, if it's business and your employer says, hey, listen, we have a situation, you got to get down to... Florida be there tomorrow, you know, it's just an impossible situation for everybody to comply with. Think about it. We have a policy in Florida right now that if you rent a car, you have to register that car within 48 hours. It's something you need to do in person. So let's take a hypothetical scenario, and I'm framing it hypothetically, but I know it has occurred. I'm just not putting any names out there attached to it, okay? So my car down Friday. I'm a person required to register. My car breaks down Friday at four o'clock in the afternoon. I get the vehicle towed to wherever the vehicle needs to be towed. I have some place I need to be or I need to work or whatever my scenario is of why I need to have transportation. My vehicle can't be looked at or fixed until Monday. The registration locations are all closed. My car is now in disabled, I go and rent a vehicle that I'm going to return Monday morning because my car is going to be ready for me on Monday. So I turn this car back in at 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning on Monday. I go and get a ride. Somebody takes me to get my car later in that day. I'm no longer in possession of this vehicle The registration office opens at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or whatever it happens to be in the community that I'm in, the county that I'm in, and I no longer have this vehicle. Am I required to register it? According to the law, I am, but I no longer have this. So even if I go and register it, I no longer have the vehicle. So the poor schmuck that's driving around that just re-rented this vehicle, this vehicle is now going to be on the registry in Florida?
0: Yeah, and on on every law enforcement enforcement. officer's radar, too, as well.
1: Or you have the onus on the car rental company to determine that this is my status and now to notify the registration office that this vehicle is no longer in the possession of so-and-so. I mean, explain to me how that's going to be efficient, how any of this is going to work. We have a lot of things in Florida that are just impossible to comply with, and all of the... From my understanding, the consequence includes jail time, failure
2: to register, it's prison.
0: It is. My co-host Dwayne has some questions on that very topic for you, I'm sure. Dwayne, why don't you pick up from here?
2: And you make a very valid point, and and also thank you for being on the show. You make a valid point because I'm thinking I'm sitting here in in the the lovely state of North Carolina. I want to come visit to speak at your location Mm -hmm. or something, and – I don't know the law in Florida as far as a preemptive law, and I want to stay at the hotel. I know what North Carolina law is, and it requires me to do, but to preempt uh, my travel plans to get a rental car, a hotel, an airline ticket, that's asking my department in North Carolina to share information with your department, and under North Carolina law is I can't ask them first until I'm actually there. So, as you see, it's already going to create some things. But the, the question I want to really ask is, where is the hotel industry? Where is the hotel employers and restaurant employees' unions? What are they saying about um, this law?
1: Well, I know the ACLU has it up against this policy, and I believe some of the hotel lobbyists are doing it, but I think it's more of a behind-closed-door situation. So I can't answer the, the question for them directly. I would suggest you reach out and get a quote. But okay. from what I can gather is that I don't think anybody's happy about it. It's just one of those things that were done as a as another grab so that at the end of session they can say, look at the laws that we've passed to keep you safe from all of these bad people that are out there. And yet they refuse to look at the literature and the the reality. So the new buzzword is human trafficking and sex trafficking. And so we're going to lump all the people together, just like all this IML, the international Megan's law stuff. This is all based on the fact that anyone required to register must be traveling because they want to go to these other countries and have sex with children. So there are some gross misunderstandings, mischaracterizations, and misrepresentations going on throughout policy, or should I say with policy, throughout this country. And it just gets reinforced to a higher degree in some states more than others. Florida, I mean, you talk to some of the individual probation officers, or you speak to some of the individual law enforcement officers, And they shrug their shoulders. They say, listen, I'm just doing my job. I think this is really stupid. I can tell after my first meeting who are my clients I need to keep an eye on and who, that this is a waste of everybody's time. And yet they fear for their jobs and their their livelihoods, so they stay quiet and don't speak up. There are a handful that will. I, was, I had the pleasure of last year being at the Fatsa conference, and there was a panel of two attorneys and a couple of law enforcement guys who actually are specialists on their county's registered task force. And some of the things that he shared, I mean, he gets it in a big way. And he has stood up and said, these residency restrictions do nothing. We don't support them. And, and he's advocated for the facts. That is very, very few and far between. Most of them have no courage. And I can tell you there is no political will to change this because the public is still so misinformed. So I would say that as an advocacy body, what's important for us to be focusing on, in my view, would simply be legal challenges to point out the hypocrisies and the unconstitutionality of the, the, the laws that they're putting in place or trying to enforce and to continue to speak truth to the public. I mean, I have never had a conversation with anyone that once the facts are lined up, regardless of where they sat on this issue, that feels the registry is a good idea as is.
2: You're right. And it's a very passionate plea, but it's really hard to allow others to hear that if they have closed ears. And I guess to keep with that momentum is, you know, you have Disney, MGM, you have a lot of theme parks, you have a lot of family-type places in Florida. And then you mentioned Lauren Book and the Book family as far as being funded about this. Disney itself is very proprietary and secret about who it allows on its property and facial recognition, checking in with your driver's license to get tickets. And this information is ported over, I guess, to whatever the sheriff's department is in Orlando. It it just seems like these companies may be helping fund a lot of these bills and legislations. I mean, I know that sounds conspiracy theorist, but do you think that's
0: possible?
1: I think anything is possible, and I always say follow the money. I'll give you an example. We have in Florida, I don't know, I haven't looked of late, 70-some-odd thousand, 73,000, depends on who you talk, 73,000, 74,000, whatever, folks on our registry, on our public registry. The whole purpose of the registry in its inception was we need to advise people in the community about those individuals in the public in the community who pose a risk to public safety. So if that, in, in fact, is the basis, if that is the truth, let's start with that. Why is it that there are, is 70 is 70-some-odd thousand people on the Florida Public Registry, of which 20, I think the number is 24,000, it may be 25,000 at this point, that are actually in our community? The rest are incarcerated, deported, no longer living here, never lived here because they only visited our state, or they're dead. So why is it that they will not change the scope of the registry to only show those individuals that are actually in the community? So if we started with that, we would then look at these numbers around the country and say, gee, Florida only has 25,000 people. On their registry, they're not the second or third largest state of registrants in the country. But that would affect the amount of money that they get. But if you ask them how dollars are allocated based on the number of registrants on the overall registry, you don't get a straight answer because they don't want you to know. Fact is, even common sense for somebody that doesn't really understand or know how things are funded there are federal funds, there are private funds and there are grant funds and Local municipality funds through taxes, et cetera, that are given to law enforcement agencies. And wouldn't you think just common sense would dictate that the more needs you have based on the number of individuals that law enforcement needs to keep an eye on or have to deal with on a daily basis or number of law enforcement offices required, et cetera, et cetera, that they're going to get the most dollars? So if you're in a community, if you're in a municipality that has 12 registrants in your municipality, wouldn't it make sense that you're going to get less money than one of the counties that have 3,000 registrants to track? So let's keep the numbers high because it's more money coming into the state. That's why Florida will not take anybody off the public registry, especially those that are not here. The other presumption is that the people on the registry pose a risk to the community based on what? We're not looking at these individuals as individuals. We're not looking at the fact that the research is so clear and says that risk goes down. We don't look at the fact that even with all of these policies that someone like Disney has, that registrants are not admitted, freely admitted to the park. How many registrants have been arrested in Disney for abducting a child or molesting a child or doing something? What we have in Disney is there are people that work for Disney or contractors or whatever are caught up in stings, people that are not on the registry, which just goes ahead to just verify and support the facts, as you and I know it, that. 95% 95% plus of those on the registry are first time offenders, therefore, the registry did not apply to them. Most, what is it, 97 or 98% of victims know their offender. And this whole stranger danger nonsense is exactly that. It is so rare. So the fact that Disney wants to keep these people out rather than allowing somebody to move forward. In their lives, that they come in as part of a family group and they are there to enjoy themselves with family, why do they need to be isolated out? What about the guy that's in there that has a substance abuse problem, uh, owns a gun, and has anger management issues, beats his wife on a regular basis? He's in Disney with his kids because it's his weekend, and they do something that he don't like. He takes them back to the hotel. I mean, honestly, are we policing everybody? Do we know everybody's criminal record? Is Disney now going to come forward? And as a private entity, they can do, apparently, whatever the heck they like in making their own rules. But I think that if they truly want to have this bubble environment that's safe for everybody, I think then they should just go to anybody that has any kind of criminal background should not be allowed in there so if you have a parking ticket if you have a drug arrest from 20 years ago if you whatever i mean who's to determine what the risk is if it's so arbitrary so nobody should go in we'll have to just let all the kids go in alone because they don't have a record yet right
0: absolutely gail now elizabeth has some questions for you we want to try to get in before we run out of time so elizabeth you're up
1: hi gail thanks for being with us today no problem. Good morning. I just wanted to ask, and, and maybe this is for everybody, in relation to Florida fluffing their numbers of people on the registry to get grant money or federal money. Wouldn't that be some like how, if I wouldn't applied for food stamps and Clayton I had 12 children, maybe I did have 12 biological children, but only one lives at home. When do you think they will catch up and say, you can't do that? Are you, are you implying that perhaps this is fraud? Yeah, I mean, wow, it sounds like it Yes, I would think so, too. Steve Yoda did an article, um, you can find it on the FAC webpage, several weeks ago, where he actually did a breakdown and looked at where the funding comes from and whatever, and basically said, Florida, clean up your act." They don't want to talk about it. We have tried to push legislation, not even legislation. We have gone there and asked, here's the agenda. Our agenda is very simple. Everybody should be dealt with fairly, constitutionally, and humanely. If somebody has done something wrong and broke the law, then absolutely there is a consequence for that. No one, I don't know anyone in this movement that would say it's okay for people to offend sexually or otherwise against another individual least of all a child, that this is okay. We don't condone the behavior. That's not what this movement is about. This movement is about constitutionality. It's about equality. It's about let's recognize what it is that we're doing to human beings. People can change. People need to be given an opportunity to come back to society. So if you've done your time, based on what assessment, based on what risk are we continuing to keep you, in this position of constant watch, right, and I was just going to simply tie that back in, to having all of these people on the registry, creating a situation which is a financial benefit to the local municipalities is not only fraudulent to the government and the taxpayers for the use of their dollars, but I think it also is fraudulent in the presentation that all these dangerous people are running around amongst us and that you should be fearful. That's what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just ask one more thing, and then I'll turn you back over to Mike. For our listeners, will you explain to them why it is so important to get involved, whether with Florida Action Committee or their local advocacy group or even a national group like Narsal? Strength in numbers. When you look at any of these protests, when you look at the Million Man March on Washington, when you look at the Women's March on Washington, when you look at any of these things, it's about strength in numbers. Here's an interesting fact. Legislators, based on conversations that I had many years ago, say that every person, whether you realize it or not, probably influences at least the thinking of a minimum of 20 other people. So if each of us think about the fact that Even if you don't have family that support a review, but just your interaction with others and maybe getting them to see the reality. So if each person influences 20 other people, and there's how many people they're saying now, 920,000 on the registry, the national registry, that's 18,400,000 votes that are affected if each person required to register influence only 20 votes so by speaking out you influence votes you influence information you change public perception if we are going to make change people need to recognize that we are people too and a big part of that is people first language i don't refer to anyone as a sex offender they may be an individual that has been convicted of a sex offence And they're a person required to register, but they are a human being trying to move forward. And we, regardless of your registration status, as human beings, we all have the same basic needs. It's important for us to speak truth, to speak rationally, and to inform our neighbors and anyone that we come in contact with. And give the legislators a pause for a second to stop and think. We're eight million-plus voices, even if you take the original 900,000-plus out of there and say they can't vote, which isn't true. Many registrants are able to vote. But even if you took that 900,000 out of there, it's still over 17 million votes in this country. You want to run for president? Let's have a conversation. And this is something that we're not doing effectively. What we're not doing effectively cumulatively is pulling our resources and hiring a lobbyist. And that's important. We should be doing that. Because none of us can sit in Washington or sit in our state's capital and monitor this stuff on a regular basis unless we have a lobbyist. I know I can't, too far away. And I can't cover all the ground because I'm basically a lone wolf. And I personally think that because we have a connection, a personal connection to the story, if you will, legislators don't listen. They don't want to hear from us. But if you have people that are out there advocating for this that are not required to register, that are not a family member, the voice is louder. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. And I have to say, I know what being abused as a child looks like and feels like, and I know so many people that are required to register because of a sexual offense conviction, and what they've done is not sexual abuse. So I can honestly say that until we start using our voices and our votes, telling the truth, to the guy at the supermarket lawn and to the PTA president and the kid's school teacher and your mayor and your commissioners, until we start talking to them about the realities of what they're doing, we're not going to overcome this. So there's strength in numbers. If everybody tells one person, remember that, I know you're probably too young for that, but there was a commercial, Herbal Essence maybe it was, and it would be I told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends, and that's how you kind of get this out there. That's what a grassroots movement is. People need to be boots on the ground. Because Florida Action Committee, we've got a lot of people that are stepping up and doing their thing. But until very recently, I mean, there's there's six of us that do everything. How much do you think six people can do and have jobs and have family responsibilities and so on and so forth? There's strength in numbers. Step up. Don't hide in the shadows.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice, Gail. I I just want to thank you for being our guest on the show. I know you... Are running out of time and, and have other things you have planned for the morning. So I, I want to thank you again for being our guest and for stating so eloquently what so many of us would like to be able to tell people. And would you like to tell people how they can get in touch with you or learn more about Florida Action Committee?
1: It's www.floridaactioncommittee.org. It's all spelled out, one word, no spaces.
0: Super. Super. Well, thank you again for being here, and and hopefully we'll get you back on when we can boast about some great successes down in Florida. Thank you. All right, so that was our guest, Gail Coletta, President of Florida Action Committee. My co-hosts have been Dwayne Daughtry and Elizabeth Christensen, and again, my name is Mike McKay, and you've been listening to Registry Report Radio.